Yes, Psalm 8 you'll find on page 546 of the Church Bibles. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, all the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lord. Let's start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, may we leave here tonight loving you more and longing to live for you more, for your name's sake. Amen. Well, on Christmas Day 1968, the three astronauts of the Apollo 8 circled the dark side of the moon and headed for home. Suddenly, over the horizon, you see the moon rose, and there the blue and white earth came over the horizon, the sun glistening against it, beautiful against the backdrop of the blackness of space. Those intelligent men, schooled in science and technology, only had one response to make. Only one thing could capture the magnificence of what they saw. Millions heard as the words were broadcast. In the beginning, God created. Those opening words of the Bible, Genesis 1, 1, a worthy concept, the only worthy concept, we might say, for what they saw. It is an amazing universe in which we live, is it not? It's truly incredible. Do you know it's at least 150 billion trillion miles across? There are an estimated 125 billion galaxies in the universe. It's estimated there's more <coughs> galaxies in the universe than there are grains of sand on all the beaches in the world. Incredible. In fact, in the Milky Way alone, I'm told that there's 100 billion stars alone. And if we could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles a second, it would still take 100,000 years just to cross our galaxy. Is it not so astounding? So utterly humbling? To, as the psalm opens, before our Lord and our God, to do verse 3, to consider your heavens the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. O Lord, indeed, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, Psalm 8 that we're looking at today is taken from the book of Psalms of the Old Testament and was written by David, a shepherd boy who went on to become the king of all Israel. We see that in the introduction, if you look down, it says, a psalm of David. And as a shepherd boy working in the fields, David would have spent many nights looking up into the night sky, marvelling 
at the stars and all he could see. And the psalm's astonishing claim is that God created it all. Verse 3, it's the work of his fingers that he set in place. God is the mighty creator. This is a great psalm of joyful and awesome praise of God. Well, after all those incredible facts we heard about the sheer size and scale of the cosmos, cosmos earlier, verse 4 takes on some real weight, doesn't it? What is man? What is man? We being so comparably small, so finite, so mortal, what is man? And I hope today that as we see who God is as our creator in his majesty, we'll also understand who we are as his creatures. And as we do, I hope that we'll end by wanting to join with David in praising God with the opening and closing words of the psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, the first point then, if you're making notes, is this. We learn in this psalm of God's creation design. As we dig into this psalm, we discover what the purpose of our existence is, what the meaning behind that is, and just how wonderful and glorious it is. We've already thought about how amazing God's universe is, how awe-inspiring. And so indeed, that question hangs, doesn't it, there, that we read, what is man? What is mankind? Or as verse 4 goes on to say, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. And it's incredible that as the psalm goes on, we discover that the answer to that question is not that we are indeed very small and God is very great, but he's just so kind that he cares for us all a little bit as well. No, rather we see that you and I are of great worth in God's sight. Verse 5, look down, we're crowned with glory and honour. We're dignified with this role to play. Now, verses 1 and 9 of the psalm, they act as, act as bookends of the psalm. They open and close it, and they tell us that God is shown as majestic because of how amazing his creation, his glory is. Think back to how those astronauts responded when they saw the earth rise over the moon. Think of any response you've had to an amazing view, or how perhaps collectively, as we look back, we marvel at the ancient Egyptians with their pyramids, how they made those. Or the Romans with their ancient buildings. But so it is with the psalmist's response here to God's works, to what God has done. Maybe you've been on summer holidays to places where you've seen those works of ancient culture. Archaeological digs in places like Rome and others. But you know, whereas those buildings have or are largely crumbling away, the works of God's fingers still stand today as firm as ever. And they exist to bring praise and glory to the one who made them. They testify to God's majesty. Think of the sun. It functions to bring us warmth and light. But it is also so mesmerising in its beauty. So just as we might praise a great artist for the works we've seen that they've done, so we should praise God for all he has done. Look at this picture that I saw the other day. Just a cloud, a means of transporting rain. But how stunning, how beautiful that formation. So we praise God for the works he's done. 
What's striking is that of all these works of God's creation, his greatest work, his masterpiece, his apex, his high point, is you. It's you and I. Now, the artist or architect receives praise for their works, don't they? But the works themselves cannot praise the artist back. They're essentially lifeless. They're made of paper or wood or, or stone, sculpture there. But we, as God's masterpiece, can and rightly should praise him for the works of his hand in the world around us. But at a deep level, we can praise him by living for him, by responding to him rightly in worship. So you see verse 2, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. That's the dynamic. God desires that we live in praise of him. You see, in creating us, God, as our creator, has ownership over us as his creatures. We are his. And so we must respond to him by living as he asks us to. In making you and I, God has, verse 5, crowned us with this great dignity, this glory and honour. And he has made creation not just for us to marvel at and be amazed by, but he's made it for us all to look after, to steward. This is God's creation design. God has made us to praise him by ruling over his creation. Look at verse 6. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea. All that swim the paths of the seas. So in really big ways where people oversee whole national parks, nature reserves or, or forests, right down to where we take good care of our plants or pets, we are tasked to look after God's creation. By taking care of it and living in this world as he has designed us to, we find that meaning and purpose of living lives of worship for God by ruling over his creation rightly. That is to be fully human. Because we've been made to know God and to serve him in this world by ruling over the works of his hands. And we as the works of his hands all over the rest of the works. Of all that we see around us, the, the flora, the fauna, as well as, as we see touched on in verse 2, the most vulnerable, children and infants. And of course, all those who cannot care for themselves. God's creation has this beautiful, unique and clear design. So just as is the case with a piece of machinery or a new computer or iPhone, things function best, don't they, when they're used according to the maker's instructions. Yet how different our world looks. We've rejected the maker's instructions. We've rejected God. We've decided to go our own way to rule by our own decisions. Far from recognising God as our generous creator and our loving maker, who's given us this wonderful creation to steward, we reject him. We abuse his creation and each other and even our own bodies. And what a mess is then made of things. We think we know how to best order our lives and our relationships, believing even that we can play around with God's word and redefine marriage or sexuality as we would like. And the changes being campaigned for today will be different tomorrow. Sin has no end to its capacity for creative indulgence. 
and sadly across history, and still today we see evidence of a world which has been ruined by mankind. And in great ways or small, we've all played our part in that. Our rejection of God is seen in the selfishness and greed of our hearts that leads to us putting ourselves and not God at the centre of our lives and deciding to rule our own lives and this world as we want to. And there's huge fallout from that. As much as people think it brings freedom, it traps them. We don't know who we are, where we came from, or why we're here. And that feeling of frustration we see in the wider world, insignificance, that insecurity, that feeling of despondency, meaninglessness, and purposelessness is terribly harmful. Maybe you've heard this quote before from the Christian leader and author of the early first millennium, Augustine, who wrote, You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And how true that is, as we see around us in the wider world, people with restless hearts, pursuing meaning and purpose for their lives in all the wrong places, in abusing God's gifts in all sorts of ways. Abusing God's gift of sex and relationships, abusing our own bodies with, with drink or drugs, abusing God's good gift of work, of the work of stewarding his creation even by turning it into an idol that consumes us. So sadly, many in this world suffer both without and within because of that rejection of God and going their own way. And at the heart of that pursuit is sin, that desire to go our own way. That happens without because people live in a way contrary to God's good design, his creation design. And it happens within because the message of our secular culture, of course, is that if there's no God, then we are relatively insignificant. You see, our, our secular culture can only offer us the possibility of being crowned in some way, in a temporary way, by striving for our own glory. So we see people going after that, don't we? Because they don't believe God has crowned them with glory and honour. They, they strive after it themselves, whether it's through success in sport or, or in career or through having great wealth. But you know, the world can't give us inherent dignity and meaning because it can't be given without God. So despite those pursuits, even those who achieve them, you might read in the biographies of Bradley Wiggins or Johnny Wilkinson saying, despite the glory of the world, I was left feeling empty and lost. People are there desperately hoping to become significant. People striving to feel significant precisely because within they don't feel they are. So Psalm 8 calls the message of the world a lie. And we are not to believe it. Because God has created us as his high point and crowned us with glory and honour. And it's therein that we find our significance and worth before him. Now I'm very aware that some of us here tonight are like you following Jesus but finding life very hard battling with very real struggles of, of grief most recently bereavement depression even for some addiction and the wonderful truth is God is with you as you walk through this life and with him in the face of those battles 
He is your great creator and comforter, your friend and sustainer. And the wonderful truth of this psalm is that even when life feels hard, we can still praise God because of who he is, because he is majestic, because of what he has done in his amazing creation, and because of who he has made us to be. Even when life circumstances are causing pain or bringing a great sense of low self-esteem. We need to remember these words of Psalm 8. We are of great worth and dignity in God's sight. We are the apex of his creation. And we were made to steward his wonderful world and give him praise. Consider the persecuted Christian in a country like China or Iran suffering greatly for following Jesus. Maybe in prison and even facing death. And yet countless stories emerge of such believers singing praise to God in those awful circumstances, reflecting on his glory. Even when the chips are down in life, God's name is majestic in all the earth and he has crowned you with glory and honour. And that will always be true of you, whatever burdens life is bringing you today. And look, these psalms are meant to be shared together by God's people. They're, They're not to be to be read in an isolated way. And I think there's something we learn from that in the Christian life. We're not to do the Christian life alone. We're to do it together. We're to do it together. You see, in God we find that we have great worth and dignity. A worth and dignity that the world cannot give us. We won't find it anywhere else. For only in God do we find that. Only in his glorious creation design. But as we look around, we we see so many rejecting this design. We see a world out of joint. Some would argue a creation in crisis. So will we ever see God's creation design embraced across the whole earth? Will we ever know a world where all people everywhere will declare in unison those opening and closing words of the psalm, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. A world where God's people are no longer persecuted where there's no censorship, where there's no pressure from deceivers like Jane Azan or Steve Chalk knocking around, where they're just silenced. Will that ever be? The answer? Yes. A thousand times yes. We see the goodness now of God's creation design and one day we will know God's creation restored. That's our second point. God's creation restored. Now earlier I spoke of how the glory of ancient cultures is seen in their art and their buildings, but it's all fading away with time, isn't it? And sometimes as Christians we can look out at the world and feel the same. Perhaps we hark back to the the glory days. The days of yore. The days of yore, when we think back to when things were different. When churches were fuller, when God was more feared among people, when the censors would have shown many more identifying as Christian, when most bishops stood for something and didn't just ape the culture in a desperate grasp at relevance. And yes, there's certainly been decline in many areas. But actually, has the majesty of God ever been fully received in all the earth? Well, God's creation has played its part, hasn't it? Psalm 19, verse 1 to 4, the heavens declare the glory of God. 
The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Yet we as humans, as God's high point of creation, have far from glorified him and proclaimed his greatness. As a world, we've sinned against God and each other, abusing both creature and creation. Ever since the fall of man in Genesis 3, this world has been broken. Each generation has seen its share of sin. But in this apparent failing, in this rejection of God's creation design, God has been working and is working still. See, despite our failure as a world to live out psalm rightly, God is working to restore his creation. Like in the repair shop where the craftsmen work to restore an antique to its former glory, God is working to restore his creation. And he has done and continues to do that restoration work. And it's through his son that he has done that and continues to draw people to himself. Through Jesus, the very one who made the stars, who became one of us, the creator joined to his creation, God incarnate, come down to earth. Emmanuel, God with us. You see, in such apparent weakness, in the, the teeth of rejection, Christ came to conquer and restore. Consider Jesus entering Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Despite all appearances of weakness, the king comes, as we read in Zechariah 9, righteous and having salvation, coming to restore and conquer. Coming, verse 2, because of his enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. It's not referring to Thor or Iron Man. Rather, Jesus came to silence the enemies of sin and death. To disarm them. To silence them. To render them powerless. To do away with sin and death forever. And for all who come to him. As the songwriter Stuart Townend has written... Jesus is Lord, the cry that echoes through creation. Resplendent power, eternal word, our rock. The Son of God, the King whose glory fills the heavens, yet bids us come to taste this living bread. Jesus is Lord, whose voice sustains the stars and planets, yet in his wisdom laid aside his crown. Jesus, the man who washed our feet, who bore our suffering, became a curse to bring salvation's plan. You see, precisely because we've rejected God's creation design, rejected even God himself in Christ, God is working to restore his creation. Out of this world's rejection comes restoration for those who will receive it. And it's a full restoration. Yes, a restoration of you and I, if we follow Jesus today. But also of the whole creation. The entire cosmos. All will one day soon be restored. So where we now only sense God's good creation design in part. Lived out by some but not all. Or where we often feel weak and faltering in our <coughs> Christian lives to even do so ourselves. We can know this. In Christ we will one day finally overcome and fully know that crowning of glory and honour. We know 
now only in part, we will one day know fully that God's creation design will be fully restored. Well, we've seen from Psalm 8 that God is the awesome creator, yet also the generous and caring king, deserving of our praise and worship. But in seeing who God is, I hope we've also seen who we are and that we are to respond in this life to God by living out his good creation design in our lives. David, the writer of this psalm, even in all his glory and power as the king of Israel, recognised and responded to the true eternal king. And so too must we. Those astronauts of Apollo 8, many thousands of years later, could say with David, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He was their Lord, but will he be our Lord? Psalm 8 lifts our hearts in praise to God to consider the beauty of his creation design, but also to long for that creation to be fully restored. So if you hear his voice speaking to you today and calling to you, then respond. Amen.